Hello, and welcome to the Agape House of Worship weekly podcast. Through this podcast, we hope and pray that you will be equipped and empowered to live the life that God has planned for you. If you are blessed by this message and would like more information, please visit our website at www.agapehousenj.org. Thank you and God bless. guys sing and I'll preach and they said yeah and then this guy let's call his name Frank Frank said I want to go too so I'm saying oh man <laughs> so Frank's rough around the edges pretty uncouth and so we get there and I don't know if you've ever been you know in a prison tunnel deep in it I mean these cells they just open up different cell blocks and you just hear the the the, the bars bam they just the gates are just hitting each other metal bang and you look around you know that's locked off so if something breaks out that's locked off and you're going back and they're like 10 times you hear this thing slam bam you're 10 10 you know deep into this thing and when I get into the room, the room was like half the size. So imagine these two sections of seats here. And these women, they look rough. I mean, some of them are growing beards. I'm talking about on purpose. <laughs> so they <laughs> and you can't, you can't stare because these women they have nothing to lose. You got something to lose. They have nothing to lose. <laughs> and so I figured I'm going to have the music group. You know, sing first. I'm not, throw them out there. I may be dumb, but I ain't stupid. You're singing first. <laughs> and so they got up. They started singing. Man, they sounded good. And then the lead singer said, last song. One woman jumped over and said, no, it's not. I mean, so, I mean, it's just very forceful. No, it's not. Looked at you all aggressive like this. this something's going to go down. No, it's not. She said, you're going to keep singing until I tell you to stop singing. And I'm sitting there saying, whoa, what? And I'm, I'm all, see, they used to call me the white-collar prophet. They called another guy who was more, you know, just out there a while. They call him the blue-collar prophet. So I'm the white-collar prophet. So I'm the guy, if I have to prophesy something to you, it's nice. It's going to be finesse. And, you know, if, if you're a devil, I'm going to say, you know, you're, you're devilish. I'm not going to call you know, So, so I'm, going to, I'm going to make this thing sound a little bit coiffured and cleaned up. So do you understand? And so, you know, Frank... When Frank heard that woman say, no, it's not, Frank jumped up and said, sit down and shut up. And then Frank looked at her. The glory of God came in that place. I looked over at Frank. I said, man, Frank belongs. Frank's gifted. Frank is gifted. See, <laughs> See sometimes you don't know where a person fits. Frank fit. That woman sat down, shut up, no other noise out of her. They sang that last song. I got up and I preached about Rahab and how God could heal even Rahab. <laughs> Those women were cheering and clapping for Rahab, yeah, because it gave them hope. The chaplain tried to sign me up for every prison in the country. I said, no, time out. That was, this is just a one-time gig, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but what I saw was that everyone has a shape. And the best way you can support the lead pastor, that Frank supported me that day. 
I was so happy that Frank came with me. You sit next to me, brother. <laughs> if anything breaks out, it's me and you against them, man. <laughs> Do you understand? You need people in your life that's going to reflect a complimentary view to who you are. And the way you support that lead pastor is not to be like me. It's to be yourself. And let God use you in the way he shaped you so that you can add to who we are and together we can accomplish great things for God. A third way in which you can support that lead pastor is to practice self-leadership. Now, there are different models of leadership. And technically, there's what's called a strongman model. Someone barks out orders and give commands. That kind of leadership style only creates docile followers, people that are dependent on him or her. Then you have also, you have the visionary leadership they're very winsome, very charismatic, and very, you know, they're just, they're so captivating that we're caught up, excuse me, with the vision. But it doesn't equip us. It just inspires us. So we all run out of here. And we ask each other, where are you running? I don't know, but I got to run. <laughs> we have no idea where we're going, but we're just running. That kind of leadership is a leadership model, the visionary leadership. But there are other models. We know about the servant leadership, but there's another model called self-leadership. Self-leadership equips. It says to you, you lead yourself. And the more you lead yourself, that means you take the necessary time to develop a plan to undergo the task that is before you. When you do that, I don't need to lead you. I may just guide. I may just influence. But you, as a self-leader, understand what is expected of you. And you're willing to pay careful attention to the organization's interest. And you're willing to discipline yourself so that you can be able to lead your respective area of responsibility. And when you do that, you are helping support that lead pastor. See, a self-leader assumes full responsibility for the leadership challenge and the leadership task in front of her. Period. And if you would assume the full responsibility for your department... Don't sit there waiting to be told what to do. Lead. When my oldest daughter was a teenager, she was working for this particular entrepreneur, and the person was not very focused, not very strategic, not very, you know, planned out. And my daughter, Danielle, is one of those planners. She wants to just get every, her ducks in a row, and she'd come home and she'd complain. I said to her, sweetheart, I said, stop complaining. She said, well, she's not giving me anything to do. She's not. I said, why don't you lead from behind? He said, what do you mean lead from behind? I said, you come up with a plan. You come up with a project. You come up with goals. And then you would say to her, you'd, let's call her name Phyllis. Phyllis, I, I know you're very busy, but I took the liberty of writing down some of the goals and things that I thought were in concert with your vision. Uh, are, are you okay with this? Lead from behind. That's self-leadership. And so what happens is that you get stronger. You get more equipped, and you become more responsible. And when that happens, you can climb the ladder. But if you're waiting around for someone to tell you what to do, and, okay, go here now. When you finish, come back. And then when you come back, okay, now go over there. What do I do afterwards? Come back. Come on. That type of leadership style is very draining. 
A fourth way that you support your lead pastor is to engage in self-directed learning. There's nothing greater than a person who always is developing his or uh, himself or herself. Select, manage, and assess your own learning activities in keeping with the organization's mission and vision. What are you doing to improve yourself? Take a course in school. Read certain books. Have a mentor. Get a personal coach that can help you in a certain discipline. It is amazing what you do. You heard initially in my bio that I work with the chaplain's office for the Giants, the Jets. I'm surprised. I'm not even a football fan. I don't even care much about football. I only watch it when the Super Bowl. And I, don't, I hardly watch the whole game. I fall asleep. <laughs> but I'm not a football guy. So, but, but I don't know how I'm involved in some of those settings, but I'm there. The average NFL team has 15 coaches. 15. And any NFL player, I don't care who your favorite team is, whether it's the Cowboys, the Giants, the Jets, the Patriots, I don't care. Every one of those players, they are the best of the best of the best of the best in their sport in the world. Any professional athlete is the best of the best of the best in their sport in the world. And yet these multi-million dollar contract athletes have coaches. And we, preachers, leaders, seldom have a leadership coach or a cross-cultural coach or a preaching coach. Seldom, and we want to win the city for Christ. Why are you being so presumptive that you're all that? The purpose of a coach is to help someone get better. The people that are more skilled have coaches because they realize there's greater potential in their performance. Amen. I just want you to understand that. And let me take a little rabbit trail. It must have been about four or five years ago. I woke up one morning. I just, I don't know why the gnawing thought came to me. I just, I wanted to have a preaching coach. And I'd had a measure of experience in, in preaching preached in some 75 countries of the world, or at that time maybe some 60 countries of the world. And I called up one of my old profs. I said, Russell, this is David Ireland. And we went through the social niceties. How are you? Uh, okay, everything's fine. He said, why are you calling me? I know, he, goes, he said, I know you. What, what are you what's, the, what's going on? I said, I'm looking for a preaching coach, and I'm wondering, would you be willing to serve me in that capacity? He said, short answer, yes. Long answer, why? I said, I feel like there's some doors and opportunities that God has in store for me, but they're closed somehow until I uh, work on my craft better. I said, now, I've served as a preaching coach in the lives of many, and so I have templates and tools that I use to assess, to evaluate. Uh, you know, I can send that to you, and you can use them if you'd like to assess and evaluate. He said, yeah, I can, but give me two weeks, and I'll respond back to you. Two weeks later, he phoned me. He said, I was able to assemble a team of 16 people that will be part of the, this team that will be able to be your evaluators. <laughs> I have some atheists. I have some agnostics. I have teenagers. I have, I have, I have 
kids. I have people that have PhD in homiletics. That's all they do is focus on the art and science of preaching. I have people from the Wesleyan tradition, Methodist, Pentecostal, Baptist. And I have some that are international, men, women. I have a consortium of people that are willing, and this is the fee that we expect. I said, cool. Now I grew up, I said, <laughs> now, now, now I grew up in New York City. I said, I said yeah, so I figured I'm going to send the best sermons I've ever preached. I'm going to send, I mean, I'm talking about sermons where the devil almost got saved. I said, <laughs> I'm going to send those, I'm going to send those, the devil almost said, man, you almost, I almost got saved. I, said, I almost got, I'm going to send those sermons. So I said, let me send you these sermons. And then he said, don't send me anything. Whatever I need to find is on the internet. I hate the internet. <laughs> I mean, the things out there, I don't know how he got it. I was preaching in Cuba. You know, this before the embargo was lifted. I don't know how the material was smuggled out. They got stuff from Cuba. What I'm saying, though, is that in this evaluative process, one of the things I gained, one of the gems from that was this. I have a tendency of when I preach, a flaw, is I, I, when things are hard, I never say they're hard. I make hard things sound easy. And it rubs people the wrong way. Because I don't admit that it's hard. I was teaching one of those, they, they got one of the messages on evangelism. And one guy said, I was waiting for the whole sermon for you to say, evangelism is hard. And you never said it. There are things that people hear that you don't hear. And the purpose of a coach is to help good people get better. And people that move at a certain tier to increase their performance. It's amazing. I say all that to say, and a lot of good things came out of that. Let me tell you when one opportunity opened up. I found myself in Slovakia. I said, where is that? Next to Poland, I was in Bratislava, Slovakia. Bratislava is the capital of Slovakia. Slovakia was a former communist nation. They wanted someone who can preach to everybody. They shut down the city of Bratislava, the churches, Catholic, Presbyterian, Episcopal, Assemblies of God, and they have the major conference called Christ in the city. I was invited to speak to all these individuals that are divergent. I was the only black person for weeks. <laughs> so here I am now in Bratislava, Slovakia, with a translator who learned English from watching American sitcoms like Seinfeld <laughs> and The Office and other things. And so that's how he learned English. And so he was a pastor as well. So here I'm in Slovakia. And you say, how do they hear of you in Slovakia? They had my, one of my contacts from Australia, who I preached in Brisbane, Australia, told them when they were saying, we need someone. They said, well, we know someone from the States, and we'd like to recommend that David Ireland come from the States and, and to preach in Bratislava, and we'll fly from Brisbane to be there as well. And so it was myself and another guy who was the primary speaker, a guy from China. So here we are now. And, and so my point, though, is that it's through, I look at that and say, I worked on my craft. So I'm speaking now to people in their, you know, via the Slavic language 
to people that came out of communism. And, and under a communist regime, regime, they're very skittish. They, they don't say things publicly because they're afraid of the KGB and people who are listening and all that's going on. And I remember, and I'm digressing now, but I, I remember that this one guy says, my father-in-law is, is a diehard atheist. I've tried talking about Christ and he's just told me off. But he heard as an American preacher here, and he wants to come on Sunday. The guy comes. I'm in this, it's like a coliseum, and I, I'm preaching. And I remember preaching on God has a dream for Slovakia. When I gave the invitation for people to come to Christ, the guy's father-in-law is standing right there. The guy told me after, he said, my father-in-law got saved today. So there's, there's something about engaging in self-directed learning. Why be lazy to improve yourself? Don't wait. See, we adults... We had a structure in place. When you're a kid, you go to the kindergarten, first grade, second grade, fifth grade, tenth grade. You go to, you know, you, you go to high school and you, you go to college. And for some of us, we went to grad school. And for others, you know, we, we, we went on. And then after we went through that, the whole cycle of education, there's no track. There's no system. There's no one spurring us along. There are no parents saying, okay, now you got to go to the 11th grade. Now you got to apply for college. There's no one like that. Now that you're an adult and there's no obligation, what are you going to do to improve yourself in terms of self-directed learning? And the more you improve yourself, the more valuable you are to us. Can't you see that? And so as a pastor, I want people around me that's always growing. Let me tell you, I'll be very, very brutally honest with you. My biggest challenge today are leaders that I have in my midst that have stopped growing. It is so difficult. I feel like I'm pulling them. And I want you to understand that you support the pastor when you engage in self-directed learning. Number five, live by the motto of the great missionary to China, William Carey. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. So how do you help me as a pastor lift my arms and support me? What do you believe in God to do through you? I want your faith to keep growing because when your faith grows, man... You're with their championing and you're rallying me on saying, Pastor, we can do it for God. See, I love people that can come around. They're not saying, oh, you need to calm down, slow down. You need to, let's not, don't dream so big. Live in readiness to answered prayers. What would you do if God answered every prayer? See, in other words, let your, let your works showcase your faith. Don't tell me I have a lot of faith. That doesn't impress me. Let me see what you've done. That tells me if you have faith. And sometimes I don't like praying with intercessors. Because many of them are very unsuccessful. 
in the outward expressions of ministry and of life. So you, tell me, let me understand again. You have a prayer ministry. Yep. You have an audience with God every day, extended times in the throne room of God. Yep. Why is it that you can't pay your light bills? I got a problem. I'm not against prayer. I've written three books on prayer. I started a school of prayer. I, I believe in prayer. My issue is that many times you'll find a businesswoman or a businessman, they're running a corporation with 3,000 employees and they haven't even prayed once. And I got a guy over here who prays three hours a day and his wife's getting ready to kick him out of the house because he can't pay the car note. The car, the repo guy's right outside getting ready to latch up the car. I got a problem. My problem is not simply theological. My problem is experiential because I, I got a, you know, it's like I'm like the guy who had a little mental problem and, uh, you know, and they were in the church and he would sometimes speak out just erratically, you know, a young guy about 22 years old because he had a mental problem and some guy jumped up and prophesied for the Lord would say, even as Abraham was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Methuselah. I'm your father, saith the Lord. And someone said, hey. That, 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 that's wrong. And, and then they said, how, how could that be? And the guy who had a mental problem jumped up and said, Duh. That's not God. <laughs> I mean, he just, he just made it very plain to us. <laughs> See, sometimes this thing, <laughs> we make it too complicated. I, I just want to, sometimes I got to connect the business people with the intercessors and the intercessors with the business people. I just want you guys just to come together. Because this way we can learn how to really pray so we have signs of that. Now, if you're an intercessor, don't you slash my tires. <laughs> Remember, I'm from New York. Anything may happen. <laughs> the sixth way you could support the lead pastor is Maintain your spiritual fervor and passion for Jesus. That lifts the arms of the pastor. When you keep falling in love with Jesus over and over and over and over again, and you passionately protect and guard your devotional life, man, that speaks volumes. The worst thing is to have leaders that lost their hunger for God. They just, they're dry. They're sarcastic. They're cynical. It, it, it's tough to be in that kind of environment. You know, it's, it's like one of the hardest places to preach is with preachers. That's 
Yeah. I remember I was preaching a, it was for a Bible college. And it was, I was the one preaching for the introduction of a new president for that college. And behind me, like 30 professors, all of them had earned PhDs. They had, I looked back, I shouldn't have looked back. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I looked back, I don't know why I looked back. Don't look back, don't look back. I looked back, I looked back. They all had their arms folded. You know what it meant? Bless me if you can, I dare you. Tough group. And so I had to just open up with some crazy story, and I did, and their arms dropped a little bit. It's tough. You know why it's tough? Because they lost their joy. Now they're just sermon tasters. Let me see how that tastes. Let me see how that evaluates. And I hope you don't fall into that trap. All you do is evaluate, critique, and assess, and compare. You don't want that. You want someone who's passionately fallen in love with Jesus. And you have, you have this devotional life where you so love the Lord. And so even if the sermon flops, you still, you, it didn't take away from your joy of walking with the Lord. And you've developed this ongoing method to strengthen the soul of your leadership while serving in the crucible of ministry. That's important. you got to stay fresh. you got to stay passionate. It's easy to get dull and cynical. It's easy to get dried up and sarcastic. It's easy to get jaded. It's easy to get tough. I don't want to be tough. I don't want to be hard. I don't want to be someone that's insensitive and far removed from the emotional aspect of caring for people and loving people and walking with people. I, I still want tears to well up in my eyes when I think about the goodness of God. I remember when I was in seminary many, many, many years ago, before the flood, before Noah's flood. <laughs> and uh, I was, what, 24 years old at the time, and my dean came up to me and said, David, uh, we just got a phone call from this church in Corona, Queens. There, They want us to send one of our young, fiery preachers to them, and we decided to send you. So I'm 24, preaching for two years. I got it. I got nothing. So I go there. Church is jam-packed. A big conference. They introduced me to some of the pastors. It was three generations of pastors. The grandfather was there, about 80. His son was there, preacher in his 50s. His son was a preacher around my age. I don't know, a deep. Me, I came out of Babylon. I had no grandfather's preacher. I'm just I'm it. It starts with me. And so I'm preaching, and I got to a point in my preaching about Jesus and his love. And then all of a sudden, I hear this disruption from the grandfather. Uh, so I, I turn around. I can't even, because this is all new to me. I turn around. And so the grandfather said, pull me up, sonny. He had no teeth. He just, his dentures had been removed. He said, pull me up, sonny. Pull me up. And so I just, and then I deciphered, and so I, I went, I reached up, grabbed his hand, put it right on the railing, and he said, pull me up, and, and he said, I just want to tell the Lord how much I love him. And he's jumping, and he's, he's jumping like that, still demonstrating this excitement. 
And I said, God, may I have that same zeal for you after serving over 50 or 60 years in ministry. May I be like that man who said, pull me up, Sonny, so I can praise the Lord for his goodness. And I'm saying, you know what that does to us pastors? When you as a leader maintain your passion for Jesus, it keeps us accountable that we also become passionate for Jesus and keep it. The seventh way you support the pastor is to embrace a lifestyle of biblical integrity and Christ-centered morality. As a leader, keep yourself pure. Especially in our culture that's not fashionable. Lead with and lead by your integrity. Not your degrees. Not your title. Your integrity. Serve the Lord with clean hands. Serve the church with clean hands. Oh, how that lifts our spirit. Oh, how that supports us. Strive to finish well. One of my friends, Dr. R.T. Kendall, has written perhaps about 60 books now, been in ministry for over 60 years. R.T. is in his late, probably mid to late 80s at this point. I remember it was about maybe four years ago, R.T. said to me, David, would you pray for me? I said, well, what would you like me to pray about, R.T.? He said, Pray that I finish well, that I have no scandals to my name, that I finish with clean hands, pure heart. As leaders, that's how you support us. We're not chasing down because you're in another scandal, yet another mess, yet another character disruption. Yet another implosion you've created because of bad judgment and bad actions. Oh, how that's a black eye to the church. I'm not suggesting that we're perfect. Far from it. But we should be integrous. We're not perfect, but we should be healthy. Spiritually and emotionally. Strive to finish well. Eighth way you support the lead pastor. Live a prayer-filled life. I told you prayer is important to me. Intercessors, come on back on my side. (laughs) There's, There's something about that you don't leave the altar. You pray for, you pray with, you pray in front of the people. Not as good optics, but as good practice. See, if I said called your pastor and said, please, give me the names of the five top intercessors of Agape. There's no reason in the world why your name should not be on that list. And if your name's not on that list, seek for year 2020 that your name be on that list. You you, got to have a life of prayer. And people know when you have a life of prayer and when you don't. When you know the courts of heaven, 
It's clear when you have an audience with the king and the king grants you an audience into his presence. And when that regularity is there, the aroma of heaven is on your life. It's clear. And so what lifts my heart as a pastor and what is very supportive to me is when leaders in my midst have a prayer-filled life. I hate being around leaders that are just so secular-minded. They're so carnal. They don't even know they're carnal. They're not spiritual. They don't think about what God's will is, what God said, what God's plan is. They ask you all the technical, analytical questions. No faith. No, what is the Holy Spirit saying? And I'm not saying that those are the only questions. I'm saying there should, those questions should come up in a conversation at some point if you are a man of God. Or if you are a woman of God, at some point it should raise in your mind the thought, what does God think about this? But if you never say anything about that, then you got to change some things around. See, let your authority and influence emanate from your prayer closet. See, don't throw around your title. Let, you know, talk to the Lord and let God influence me through your talking to God rather than you always having to throw around your title. I'm so-and-so. No. Have power on bended knees. One boy said, my father stands tallest when he's on his knees. I was in South Korea ministering in a big international leadership conference and they had a prayer room around the size of this sanctuary. So you'd go there at night and pray if you'd like to. So one night I went there around 11 o'clock at night. When I walk into the room, you can just sense the presence of God. As soon as you open the double doors and walk in, you just, it just enveloped you. And then I heard these words, God, give me Egypt for your glory. Another voice, God, give me Afghanistan. I will serve you there. Give me that nation. When I followed the trajectory of the voice, it was little kids laying on the floor crying out before God. Eight years old, ten years old, on their faces, asking God for those nations. Wow. So I will serve you there. See, there's no junior Holy Spirit. God is not a grandfather. He's only a father. And we here in the States, we seldom think about the spiritual formation and well-being of kids because we have this twisted perspective that we don't know is twisted until someone informs us that our perspective is jaded and limited in terms of spiritual things in many areas. Some areas we got it together. Other areas were very deficient. And when I saw those little kids crying out before God, it transformed my approach. That's out of that came one of my books called Raising a Child Who Prays. And the idea was that these kids had a life of prayer. Their parents didn't tell them to do that. They were there laying on the floor in their Batman pajamas and their Cinderella pajamas. So they, they were kids in many respects, but yet their prayers were adult prayers. And God, give me Afghanistan. Give me Egypt. Number nine, add value and strength to the pastoral team. So the way you support the pastor is by adding strength to the team, or I would say to the leadership team. Add strength to it. What do you bring to the table? Why should you be on the leadership team? Why are you here? Let's get down to brass tacks. 
I just want to know, why are you here? Why, why are you, what do you bring to the table? He said, well, you shouldn't ask that question. You should be glad I'm here. No, I'm not glad you're here. <laughs> I'm only glad that you're here if you bring help. If, what are you doing? What do you, how do you help? What can you do? What have you done? What are you willing to do? You see, those questions that sometimes we don't want to ask, but I'm asking because this is a drive-by sermon. In a few minutes, I'm out. <laughs> and so I got to ask the question because, you know, your pastor won't ask because he can't ask. <laughs> He's here. I'm gone. I'm asking you. What do you bring to the table? See, in other words, I want you to guard the integrity and the cohesiveness of the leadership team. I want you to promote and encourage one another as a display of your humility. I also want you to add your strength to the mix, to the table, your contribution in terms of gift mix, skill set, even financial contribution, so that the leadership team becomes all of what God wants it to become. And finally, help keep the lead pastor focused by executing on the above nine items. That's it. I want you to keep doing ministry in such a way that the lead pastor can concentrate on his area of responsibility, his primary area of responsibility. Don't distract him. Solve the problems within your sphere of influence with the Jesus kind of wisdom. And practice honor and loyalty towards the lead pastor. You do those 10 things, and you would have supported the lead pastor in the execution of his ministry at Agape House of Worship. Come on, let's give Jesus a great big round of applause. Praise God. Amen. 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 Please be seated. I know that uh, we may have some questions. But before the questions, for indeed the Lord would say to this house, I'm calling this church to a new place of growth and development. The conversation has been taking place in the, in the boardroom. Should we establish different sites? And the Lord would say, yes, I call this house to be a multi-site house. And I'm going to cause other locations to be opened to you. That you will serve the people in those respective communities. For this geographical region shall not be a limitation to you. It shall simply be a base of operation. But there shall be other local places where there shall be an expression of agape worship house. So, so that you can be able to, agape house of worship, that you can be able to fulfill that which I've put in your heart. And I'm calling this house to restructure its leadership. You will see in the days that lie ahead a change in the governance. A change in style. A change in the philosophy of ministry. A change in how one does what they do. For this, sh this shift that shall take place shall not bring a disruption in your effectiveness. Rather, it shall cause an acceleration in your effectiveness. And where there has been a pinch in the financial arena of this house... I remove that pinch. I remove that limitation. I breathe upon the finance of this house. And I say, house, come alive financially. House, prosper financially. House, 
grow financially. I will cause the entrepreneurs of this house to begin to flourish like never before. Get ready because I'm going to cause an increase to come to the entrepreneurs that get attracted to this house. This house shall create unique areas of business ministry. Ministry that shall reach into the marketplace. For many business leaders shall come here and there shall be a consortium of leaders where they'll talk among one another and talk with each other and come up with creative ways to help be an incubator of individuals who want to start ministries and start businesses in an entrepreneurial sense in the broader community. Indeed, I will cause this house to have access in a deeper way with international communities, organizations that help become spearheads that fund international enterprises and ministries that deals with, with, with philanthropy and care and helping the broken, the marginalized, the abused. This house is called to be one that'll be a facilitator of connecting the well-resourced with the under-resourced people of the world. And so I anoint this house with the area of social justice that you may fulfill that which I've put in your hearts to fulfill from a justice perspective declares the Lord. Count it not a strange thing that many times your heart gravitate towards, gravitate towards caring for the broken, the needy. And so I'm saying to you today, I'm going to put a finger on the missionary area of ministry for this house. For there has been false starts. Stop, start, stop, start. And you've not been able to fulfill that which I've put in your heart for global influence. I call this house to have influence not only on the continent of Africa, but in the Caribbean and even in South America. Prepare your hearts for those parts of the world. I'm going to cause this house to thrive in regards to its missionary endeavors. So indeed, this time, this season should be known as a pivotal season, a season of transition, a season of change. I'm listening to a conversation right now and I hear you talking pastor and you're saying pastor Jide you're saying my apostolic calling it feel like it's shrinking up it's shriveling up. I can't leave because I don't have the people in place and I'm going to put the people in place that your apostolic gifting and calling may be fulfilled for I call you to be a nation builder. I call you to be one that's a reformer to those who think that they're thinking clearly. You'll come in with skill, with finesse, with wisdom and sagacity and insight and help shift their thinking in a loving, respectful way and you'll be known as a repairer of broken, of broken people and broken places. So anoint this house with fresh oil this day to fulfill your calling in the earth, declares the Lord. Come on, let's magnify our God. Come on, let's worship the Lord again. Can we do that? Let's celebrate our God. Mm, praise God. Jesus. Can we get the worship team to come on on the stage and just create, just capture this mood and the sound? Come on, worship team. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you. Come on, team, come quickly to the keyboard and let's just capture that. Yeah. Jesus, thank you for who you are, your love, your care. Jesus, we thank you.
spoken through the word of knowledge that these couples that want to have children I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to correct to heal to set free each one in a unique way that they may know the joy of pitter-patter of little feet in their home I thank you, Lord, for your anointing to rest upon their lives. In Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, for healing right now. In the name of Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord, for your transforming grace touching each one. In Jesus' name. Look at me, my sister. What's your first name? Idarmi. You came from a home where a lot of pain in your childhood because the value of children was not there. And you've had to work through so much crisis and internal turmoil as an adult to try to get to a place where you saw worth in yourself because all you knew growing up was that I have no value, I have no worth. But today the Lord says, I wash your heart from the curse. I clean your life from that broken past and I decree you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I proclaim value upon you. And I pronounce the Father's blessing upon you. And say to you, daughter, I love you. And I honor you. And you are a woman of great worth. Receive a healing in Jesus' name. Receive. What's your first name? John? John, I need you to listen to me. John, you have some incredible gifts that can put you into any setting and be successful in the vocational part of your life. You're, you're a real workaholic. You're very gifted. And making money is easy to you. But I want you to listen. You have to slow down and begin to bring some order into your life because your work life is it's made family life not the level of enjoyment that it needs to be. Now, I want you to turn to your wife. And you're going to say to her, honey, I finally heard you. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to put some things in order. This way, we're going to enjoy our life. And I'm going to have a healthy life. Emotionally, and even in my business. And even in business. Do you understand? Good. Now, you guys need to set some time, get a little vacation, some R&R, &R, and make it happen, man. No, no more excuses, no more pushing it away, pushing it off. Brother, work is always going to be there. You're very gifted, and you don't, don't feel as if you're, you're running behind schedule. And one of the things that you're chasing after is what you, you're chasing after what the men in your family were not. They were not industrious. They were not good financial providers for their family. And you're chasing after not becoming that. Don't let another monster be created by you running away from one kind of monster. Enjoy a balanced life. Got it? Praise God. Don't we love the Lord? Amen. This young man right here with the old navy uh, hoodie on. Come on, man. I want to chat with you. Family, do you have here? 
You have mom? Mom, come and stand over here. And who else? Your two sisters? Okay. The sister, family members that are here, come on up here. And just, you, you can, let someone else film it. Let someone else film it. Give it to somebody else. You know, you, you know, you, I want you to experience the moment. Don't capture it and, and wonder what happened afterwards. No, I want you to stand right there. Stand right there. No. There's a part of you, you're very gifted when it comes to, to talking, to arguing, to being persuasive. You, you know how to work yourself out of all kinds of jams. You know, it's, you know, if I see you take that bottle of water and I say, hey man, you took that bottle of water, you'll come up with a way to make me think that I never saw it. In other words, you're very gifted in being able to persuade. And God's going to use your persuasive gifts and abilities in ways that's going to far exceed your expectation but he's going to put you on the right track because there's a leadership gift inside of you that God's about to develop see you're an influencer and God's going to use that gift to develop other people and to influence others in ways that's very significant God's called you to do that you have a very sharp and analytical mind and God's going to use that mind in ways that's far more effective than you've ever seen before. Get ready. You've been hanging out with a group of people where you're very superior to them in terms of academically. And, you know, they, they, they run slow. You run fast. You know, they don't get it. You get it. God's going to change the group. He's going to put you into another group where you're going to feel as if I got to run fast and I got to stay up. And the reason why God's going to put you into another group because he wants you to fulfill your potential in the earth. And so today, I bless this young man. I ask, Lord, that your purpose will work in his life, that he may fulfill your calling, your plan for him, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Come on over here. What's your first name? Esther. 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 This young lady here, very compassionate. She'll cry at the drop of a hat. She, she, she hates to see people taken advantage of. God's made you tender. And don't think it's a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. And your tender heart is going to help provide healing for a lot of hurting people. In fact, your friends always confide in you and they always tell you their secrets and they always ask you for advice because God's put inside of you wisdom way beyond your years. And he's going to use you in that regard. So Father, I thank you for Esther. I pray blessings upon her in Christ's name. Amen. What's your first name? Esne. You're just trying to figure it out. And this part of you right now, you're questioning everything. You're questioning why. Why do I need to do that? I don't want to keep doing that any longer. I don't want to. I don't need to go that route. You're going through that whole phase. It's a phase. And what you need is to be challenged in terms of philosophically and theologically. You've been reading the wrong stuff. In other words, you need to read heavier things with the questions you've been wrestling with. You know, and you've been wrestling questions on Bible-based questions. Who's God? What does he want from me? What, you know, why this? You know, you've been questioning life. There needs to be a different diet in your life in regards to books so you can be able to wrestle with, with people that, that are on the same tier in terms of thinking. One good book is called Mere Christianity. And this is being recorded, so you'll get it by C.S. Lewis. Very good book that'll help you in a probative way understand, oh, who am I? What's going on? 
it'll answer questions that you are struggling through and help you because the way you think, you can't get answers from people who just take things at face value. That's not who you are. It doesn't mean you're bad. It just means that you need to run with people that think the way you think so they can help answer the questions you've been having. But just because the folks you've been running with can't answer the questions don't mean that there are no answers. It just means that you've been asking the wrong people. You understand? So God's going to put some right people into your life that you'll feel complete. But God has a plan for you. Father, I thank you for this precious young lady. Bless her in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, thank you so much for coming and being a part of your time together. And uh, I know I have some resources here. Please be seated for a moment. And uh, Pastor will be coming and closing us out. But I don't know if you wanted to chat about them or you want me to. Okay, he'll chat with you about them. Also. Thank you. Can we put our hands together? Wow. That was amazing. That was God. Uh, there's no other way to just uh, explain it. God really has a word for us. God works everything together for good.